on the Ulrich Freite show, we have a guest, which I'm very delighted to welcome. I really wanted to talk about awareness for a long time on this podcast. I had awareness therapy in the, in the past and it kept fascinating me. And a colleague of mine reminded me of Jan and Jan is one of the people that can explain awareness in such a simple way and i think awareness should be explained very simple jan welcome to the show thank you so much for coming thank you much so much for welcoming me in your home okay how are you doing i'm fine good very very good to hear that maybe we should start with talking about what awareness is how would you describe that that's the that's the main question here huh to start right away, actually, it cannot be described. It's it's the, it's the one thing that cannot be described, but we can, of course, try. Actually, I was curious when you mentioned that you did awareness therapy. Can you tell me something about that? Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. I will not mention the name of the therapist, mm -hmm. even though I would, because I would love to, because I'm very happy that I actually met him in the past. It was more of mindfulness therapy. It was called like that, but he totally stayed away from cognitive aspect of therapy. Of course, he wanted to know, like, what is your past? How do you cope with problems? AD, uh, that, that kind of stuff. But he immediately told me, I'm not going to treat you on ADD or I'm not going to treat your depression. I'm gonna treat. I'm gonna talk with you about awareness, and bring you back to your own awareness. Every time you ask me something, I'll try to bring you back to your awareness. And what I learned mo most out of that is everything is an experience, and you should always go back to the bodily awareness. That was his main focus. Always go back to the bodily awareness, because that's where all the answers lie. Uh, that's what he what's it what it what his approach was and i felt it when i looked at him and when he looked at me that there there was no noise in between yeah so that was my therapy nice and it was not a quick fix i can tell you that <laughs> it was more of a more of a long-lasting experience and it to this day it's an experience yeah. uh, uh -huh. that i carry with myself do you recognize that yes yes awareness not going into the stories find the one who is experiencing or watching the stories and then and then find out that there's no problem over there that the problems are in the stories mm -hmm. and of course in believing the stories to be true and so this awareness therapy actually is uh, another way of saying what is what is the whole spiritual path about spiritual path is actually about finding out who you really are behind this this image that we all sort of have developed in our life about who we think we are so who we think we are is often called the ego and the ego consists of all the memories uh, that we have conscious or unconscious memories of our past and, and, and of course, all our opinions that derive from our experiences, our hope and fear, the whole thing is all in the mind, is all thinking. 
memories are thinking, uh, hope and fear are thinking. So actually, you could say that all of man's mankind's problems come from thinking. But the answer to these problems is not to block or stop thinking, but to recognize that you are not the thinker, but you are awareness of the whole process. So there is a process going on. It started about when we were one, one and a half years old, then thought and thinking started and has not stopped since that time. And we have been completely sort of used to it and, and we have identified ourselves automatically with the chain of thoughts, of the stories that we think. In, the, in psychology, we, we are aimed at looking at those stories from a different angle. If the story causes, if your story is that you cannot go into healthy relationships, the story is you cannot live without alcohol, all these things that are quite severe problems, then we work on the stories. The, the therapist, the psychologist helps you to develop a new story that suits you better, that helps you function better in your life. You could say you are um, re-educating your ego in a more healthy way. It has developed some unhealthy habits that cause problems in your life. <clears throat> and with a little help from psychological insight, and, and some exercises, you can help yourself learn new, new mechanisms in your ego, develop new mechanisms that function better. So for instance, I learned in my young, young years, my, young, my youth, I learned that I'm weaker than everybody else. I'm weak is my sort of negative conviction about myself and that is because I am how do you call that a late coming child mm -hmm. we I had five brother one brother four sisters they were all five to ten years older than me so I was actually the weakest person in the house I could never win an argument by force so I had to develop a new method which is the nice guy method yeah <laughs> by being kind and pleasing and then you can get your things done if you are clever enough so i developed this conviction that i'm weak and that i should avoid going into conflicts so i became a conflict of and and the image is that you're always friendly and nice and please pleasant to be with and kind and um, so this i discovered around my 45th year after a lot of problems, relationship problems and all kinds of drugs-related problems. and um, So then I f when I found out, I went into the psychological sort of re-educating my ego and did a lot of training to develop a more assertive, more direct, more honest approach to other people. So this is what psychology, psychology does. <laughs> and, and to compare it with the... The spiritual way of working is that the, the spiritual way of does not condemn the psychological way. It's very helpful to ha help your ego function better in your in your life. 
but you'll always remain stuck in the identification with that ego. If your ego learns a new way of dealing with problems, then you become identified with the new way of dealing with your problems. And the moment you do not succeed in dealing that new way with your problems, there is this, again, this negative belief. I'm weak. I can't. I'm not good enough. So the spiritual approach takes a, a more a meta-level approach and looks at the whole ego, looks also at the psychological ways of re-educating the ego. And by looking at the ego, slowly, slowly, you, you discover you are not the ego, you are the looker, the, the watcher, the, that which is aware of thinking of all the processes, of all the thoughts and feelings that belong to the ego. You are, you are neither the thoughts nor the feelings nor the body that sort of contains thoughts and feelings. You are that which is aware. And in the beginning, this does not help very much if you have severe psychological problems. But slowly, slowly, you need to first, of course, understand the theory. But at the same time, the theory is also part of the problem. So even the spiritual theory can become part of the problem. Your ego can very easily identify with the new theory. The new theory, I'm not my emotions, I'm not my ego, I'm awareness. And as long as it's a new story in your mind, you'll keep having problems, the suffering. So the story is not going to liberate you from identification. For that, you need practice and a very special kind of practice, which goes against all, all mechanisms of the ego. The ego is quite eager. If it learns about spirituality, then some egos at least say, ah, I like that. I want to accomplish that. I want to be liberated. I want to attain enlightenment. And immediately there becomes, this becomes a new sort of goal and you start to, from out of your ego identification, you start working to accomplish the goal of de-identifying with your ego, which of course is sort of paradoxical and problematic. So the way to practice is actually to the opposite of what ego supposes. Ego thinks this is a new, a new idea. I have to do something to accomplish it. I have to work to get it. I have to use a method to accomplish a goal. Uh, the method is actually the no method method. There's also a paradox here. So practice in Dzogchen means to sit, to be aware of your thoughts and thinking, not changing anything about it, not trying to become more enlightened than you are, which is not, of course, not trying to get rid of your ego mechanisms, not trying to feel better if you feel miserable, not trying to become more compassionate, which is all about spirituality in the other traditions, not trying to become less aggressive. Just watch again and again. And of course, in the beginning, this watching happens only one second every hour, maybe. 
or every session that you take the trouble to sit down and, and shut off your telephone and your computer and sit there without distraction around you, then you notice the distraction in your own mind, how these stories are powerful and completely pull you in a sort of current of thinking all the time with very slow moments of that you one fraction of a second you're oh you're aware of all the thinking and 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 a fraction of a second later you are already thinking oh i'm so much thinking <laughs> and the thinking goes about the thinking and then the thinking goes about your relation problems or your financial problems or uh, some nice things that are perhaps maybe going to happen and all, all the time the thinking is taking over so also this don't try to stop thinking don't try to become a non-thinker the thinking is not who you really are but for the time being when you start practicing you will all, almost all the time be identified with the thinking you will be distracted in your ordinary ego consciousness, which is thinking, and just a few seconds maybe, you are, have these short moments of being aware of all the turmoil that's going on in your head. So this is where the, the practice begins, and the beginning part is actually the hardest part. It's not like with football or, 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 or the Tour de France that you have to work hard and hard and it becomes more and more and more difficult mm -hmm. what you have to accomplish. No, the beginning here, the beginning is, is the most difficult part because almost all the time you are still identified with your thinking consciousness, your ego consciousness. So you have to learn also a little bit of patience. Don't fall in the trap of trying to stop the thinking. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that works quicker. You can you can do tricks to stop the thinking, and then you might even have some results in a few months, a calmer feeling. But only during your practice you feel more calm. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the calming meditations. They can be quite helpful in a busy life to sort of learn to relax. But it's not going to help you get rid of the identification with your thinking at the moment you 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 can you can stop your thinking a little bit but the moment you stop practicing then the thinking takes over again and you still believe that the thinking the thoughts are true that what you think about reality is the reality so practice takes a long long time but but Gradually, over the years that you practice, and you practice with a sort of kind discipline, so don't start with two hours a day, it's too much, you will no doubt go into a fight against your own ego. So I advise my students always, if you are a beginner, start with three or four times a day, five or ten minutes maximum, and just become aware how little awareness there is in your normal daily functioning and then uh, just continue continue and of course also read books and find teachers on youtube and let your let your keep inspiring yourself with the right uh, the, the right teachings and then all together you you are on a on a real authentic spiritual path
In my case, it's com it comes from Tibetan Buddhism. What I learned is a Dzogchen. It's a Tibetan word which means literally great perfection. And it is, it is about the reality, which is great perfection. It is about this way of practicing, which is a sort of perfect way of practicing. And it's about the result. The result that is not a result from gained from exertion, mm. but it is a result that that arises spontaneously if you have learned to relax your tendency to want to achieve a goal. So in the relaxation, that opens a space in which awareness can arise, can open. So that's in a nutshell. In a nutshell. In a, in a big <laughs> nutshell about my practice and about awareness. Very interesting. Also because what you're saying contains so many layers, the ego, practice, the awareness, and, and many other layers. And what I find interesting is when the answer and the solution is not in the ego, why is it so present in our how, how would you call it? Why is it so dominant if it's not where the solution lies? Yeah, why it's so dominant? Why is ego so dominant? Yeah. It is, it's, it's sort of, the disadvantage has an advantage. The disadvantage is indeed that the illusion is quite powerful. Thinking makes things real. Shakespeare already said, nothing is either good or bad. Thinking makes it so. Wonderful, huh? Mm -hmm. And the Buddha, of course, said the same thing. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. And this teaching of the Buddha is about samsara, about the way we suffer in, in, not, in not seeing the reality as it really is. We have a sort of a wrong perception of reality. We, we, we sincerely believe that reality is sort of split up in an object part and a an subject part in what is seen and a seer separated from each other. Seer is then a traditionally, logically, automatically located in the body. So the body, that which is sitting on your chair right now, we think that that is the seer of reality. And then the rest outside of the body is the reality that is been seen, that is object of that seeing. And this whole uh, idea is so ingrained, so we're so convinced that that is really the, the case. That is the, the cause of all the happiness and suffering of samsara. Samsara is not only suffering, of course, there's also moments of happiness when the suffering is sort of temporarily over and then happiness, but happiness always is temporarily and then falls back into suffering. And even in the happiness, the way we treat our happiness is already the cause for our future suffering. So, and not, not, be, not seeing that is actually the, the biggest problem. But the suffering that we create by not seeing the reality as it is, is actually at the same time the best spiritual teacher that sort of points us again and again at our misconception, our misperceiving reality. So the moment you sort of learn from the Buddha or other spiritual traditions, because they all say the same, suffering 
is caused by not seeing reality as it really is. The way to find reality, the way to see reality as it really is, goes by looking at the suffering. The suffering is caused by not seeing reality as it is. So how to find reality in, the, in how it really is, is by investigating the suffering. And then investigating not on the psychological way, which is more aimed at where did you learn this behavior? What did your parents do that you now have such a fear or such a negative self-esteem or whatever? Which is, as I said earlier, which is very much okay that psychological help is also available. But uh, investigation of suffering is actually the opposite of what we usually do with our suffering, which is running away from it, resisting it, sedating it with drugs, compensating it with nice things. So actually our basic attitude towards suffering is we don't want it. And for the ego, this is the most logical thing on earth. Of course the ego says, of course I don't want my suffering because it suffers. Uh, it sucks. It's, it's terrible. Of course I don't want it because it's terrible. But the spiritual view says you make it terrible be, by not wanting to experience it, by not wanting it, by resisting it. You create an extra layer above on the experience itself. The experience itself, it can be loneliness or jealousy or frustration or anger, but these are not the real problem. The real problem rises when you have such an emotion, such an experience, and at the same time you don't want it, and you resist it, in resisting an emotion, you become that emotion. That, that is what identification is. Identification is a psychological term, but what do you do every time again, which makes you identify with your painful emotions, is you resist them. You don't want to feel them. You go into a sort of, I don't want this. And this makes, this, this creates the suffering. So, the Buddha already said suffering must be known, must be investigated. And then you find the real cause of suffering, which is resistance, which is not wanting to experience what you are already experiencing. And then if you find the cause, then you find the path to the end of suffering, which is give up your resistance. Stop thinking that you know better than the universe, that the universe brings you in a situation where you might feel alone, may, you might feel frustrating, you might feel uh, or jealous, and then give up your resistance, look at it, look better, look even more better, and then find who is actually thinking he is, she is suffering, which is part of the suffering. So the sufferer is part of the suffering. You are being suffered, <laughs> you could always say. <laughs> and then, of course, then the practice that you have already started when you are not suffering, just every day, few times a day, you just sit and watch. That practice becomes comes in handy when the suffering starts. Then you have a little bit of experience in just let it let it happen, let it be. Okay, I feel shit right now. Can I sort of relax in the shit? So the ego, 
wants to get rid of the shit, wants to change the shit into happiness, but you already practiced in, no, no, don't change, don't change. In Tibetan, they call it machupa, left, leave it unaltered. Leave the shit, the shit. And, and gradually, by looking at the shit and giving up your, your attempts to get rid of it, which actually maintaining the problem and you succeed in sort of relaxing in the shit, then of course quite a while the shit remains, but you don't add extra shit to the shit. And then comes a time that it really starts working. Then you have shit, then you recognize, oh, but the shit is because I don't want to experience this experience. Let me try to relax. And then first you relax without some sort of liberation, but then it starts to happen. The only thing you can do is nothing. That this is the most difficult thing for ego, to do nothing. So there is a, a path of training to train the ego and do nothing. The rest is sort of, the rest is spontaneous presence. It's, it rises spontaneous. The moment the ego sort of back off a little bit, then awareness can sort of wake up. Awareness that has never been not there, but you were not aware of the awareness. The awareness was identified with the thinking and talked all the time in language, in thinking language, and said all kinds of things like you're a worthless shit and you should work harder to be happy. And now you sort of wake up to who you really are, which is awareness, which is not an entity, which is not a person, which is not a thing, which is shunyata, they say in Sanskrit, which means like emptiness or openness or space-like awareness, is your real sort of being. And, and from there you can watch your ego, you can watch the thinking, you can watch the resistance, but then the resistance dissolves into the awareness of the resistance. So you don't even fight your resistance. You notice your resistance, you notice, I don't want to feel this, I don't want to be here. And you just watch, watch, watch all the time. And then, of course, it takes years of practice. And then gradually you, you learn to relax in your apparent shit, which turns out to be no shit at all and never been shit and was never any shit at all, but always sort of looked like shit because you didn't want to be with it. That's uh, the function, sort of the, the power of awareness. I can imagine that it is a great opportunity to become more aware when you have that ego arise every now and then or maybe throughout the whole day. But when you talk about practicing being present how do you know that you're not get used to look looking at it the same way like you did yesterday you understand yeah. what i'm yeah, saying I said, yeah yeah i think that this the pitfalls on these paths cannot even be avoided but you can learn from them so in the beginning of course when you think now I'm aware of my ego, it's actually the ego uh, that is self-reflecting, yeah, mm -hmm. looking at itself. And 
also now I'm aware of my thinking is actually another thought, uh, a thought about thinking, which is actually quite okay. The whole mindfulness program is actually about thinking about your thinking. Yeah, you 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 look at your own thoughts and you give them labels. This is a, f a future thought. Oh, this is about the past. Oh, this is about pain. Oh, this is about joy. So you have a few cate categories and you label your thoughts, which is actually quite a nice sort of preliminary practice for really watching your thoughts because in the beginning you're not watching your thoughts, you're thinking about your thoughts, which is perfectly okay. You have to start somewhere and... In fact, it is still the ego pretending to, to become aware of the ego. But the Buddha was so genius that he sort of gave all these practices, knowing that in the beginning it's the ego that immediately sort of an annex, annexation, annexation, huh? and what's the verb with annexation? Yeah. Take grabs, grabs yeah. the method, <laughs> grabs the method and, and makes it an a new sort of way of getting to a goal. And the Buddha smiled and he knew already, let them do the practice on the ego way because the practice has a, a sort of a self-defeating quality in it. In the beginning, you really think you have it now. Now I found it. This is my new path. I am going to be enlightened. I'm going to be realized. I'm going to end my suffering. Yeah. And this is the method. And that's quite okay. Then after a year or two, something begins to dawn. The, the question like, but actually who is doing this practice? Who is practicing here? And then you see, ah, oh, it's still the ego, still the ego. But in that is the beginning of the awareness of the ego. So it's okay. It's okay to make these mistakes. It's of course it's it's it can make a difference if you have the the right teacher or the right tradition that warns you for these mistakes without without judgment so without sort of you never may use the method for your ego or no it's it's going to happen anyway ego is is for a long time ego will all the time sort of grabs the method and try and, and use it for its own purposes. And, and again, that's no problem because you learn to look at that too. And then you see how your ego is sort of taking a new sort of image, a new spiritual image. I am the practitioner. I am the Dzogchen practitioner. And now I am watching my emotions. And it's all part of the path. Just, just keep watching. And and I like that word a path because I feel like there are a lot of practices that feel more linear, and I feel like what you're talking about awareness can go from left to right and backwards and forwards, and that there's no from A to B when mm -hmm. you are sort of of course you're right awareness doesn't develop at all actually awareness is the only sort of no thing that is yeah. there all the time and never changes in it all the changes happen and ego um, material world all appearances in awareness 
and uh, but on the on the path there seems to be progression and the progression is of course in the and how much the ego is capable of sort of relaxing where it actually wants to do something it stops doing something where it actually wants to get rid of painful feelings it starts to sort of draw back a little bit where it actually wants to grab and hold on to pleasant feelings it's sort of okay let go that's the the whole path is actually the training of the ego in sort of giving way making space for something that is not the ego i mean the ego could never become not the ego the ego is not the real problem it's the identification with the ego that creates the problems so the more you sort of the more the ego learns to relax, the more space opens in which awareness can find its own nature. Because that's the whole, actually the whole thing is awareness is, is, is in most people not aware of itself. It has identified with thinking and then we call it consciousness or ego consciousness. But the moment this ego consciousness becomes first in knowledge in the theory sort of becomes acquainted with itself it learns about there is something like awareness and you are awareness and then you become interested and about non-duality you become interested and that's all the preliminaries you learn about it you sort of get it a little bit theoretically and then comes the moment that you must start practicing in the in the right method and and then and then gradually gradually actually its awareness becoming aware of itself that's the whole actual spiritual process awareness becoming aware of itself seeing its own nature which is in Dzogchen they call it empty luminosity empty means there are two sort of contradicting qualities that are one in awareness and the one quality is that it is aware of all appearances all phenomena can be sort of seen by awareness awareness knows the thoughts knows the feelings knows the perceptions so awareness has an, a sort of knowing quality at the same time, this knowing quality cannot be found as an entity. You cannot find it. And this is one of the practices you have to do when you do Jokshan practices, is try to find it. So at this moment, you are no doubt aware of my speaking here and aware of this room. There is no, there's, there's one thing you cannot doubt. You can doubt that this room is, maybe it's a, just a stage room, an illusion-like room, but you cannot doubt you're experiencing it. You cannot doubt that you are conscious of this room. Then this consciousness that knows this room, aim it at itself. Can you find it? Can you find this consciousness? Try to find it. Try to find it as an entity. Has it any color? Try to find a color. Has it any shape? Try to find a shape. Has it any... A duration try to find its beginning and its end you will never find something at the same time who is doing the looking for the form the time shape whatever 
you cannot deny that consciousness is doing the looking for itself and cannot find itself. The moment consciousness realizes itself as a non-entity, that's actually what awareness, when awareness sort of knows itself. You could say that's the, that's the moment that you can name it awareness. In, within Dzogchen, awareness is the term that is reserv reserved for awareness, knowing its own empty nature. Before that, awareness is most part of the time still sort of identified with the body, located in the body, is aware of the body and the, and the feelings and the perceptions and the thoughts, which is still okay, but it's the moment awareness finds its own empty nature is actually the moment there is no doubt anymore. That is when awareness is really sort of introduced to its own emptiness. And of course, then it's the rest of your spiritual path is practicing, still practicing because it needs to gain stability. You can realize your empty, luminous nature, but two seconds later, somebody rings at your door and you forget all about it and you go to the door and it's a policeman that's giving you whatever you know there's a story going on mm -hmm. and immediately you're completely distracted by the story which is quite okay it's normal it's not stupid or something but to show you that also when awareness has recognized its own empty nature it still has no stability so then the rest of your spiritual path is actually Practicing it not only on your cushion or your chair in your formal practices, but also during the rest of the day, when you're walking, when you're bicycling, when you're driving your car, when you're cleaning your toilets. With everything, you can combine it, trying to be aware, even short moments, aware while doing something, aware while eating, while even while making love, Awareness while making love, that's a very special case. We had, it's called Tantra, and it's a very beautiful practice. And all kinds of sort of daily activities become more or less practice of awareness. Even during this conversation? Yeah, moments of awareness, yeah. Yeah, that's just a side note. That's what I find interesting about podcasting. I can have my notes, of course. I can prepare everything I like, but when... I try to be present during a conversation. It sometimes can happen that I close my notes and it takes a whole different direction during a conversation. Yeah. So I find it very touching what you were already explaining and, and, and telling about. I can imagine when you first listen to awareness, it, it, finds, it, it sounds intangible. You cannot touch it. Mm -hmm. So when the listener is listening to this, what is, what is, even when we're trying to stay away from the cognitive process, what is a way for the listener, for, for myself or for Sophie, everyone who is uh, trying to get more in touch with that awareness? Yeah. What is a practical way of, of yeah. starting to do that? Yes, the practical way is, I think, the way, there's no other way around it, actually. It's just first read about it, uh, listen to teachings about it go to teachers that teach about it, 
find inspiration. That inspiration is, is the first part. Inspiration is actually quite a, a wonderful sort of magical thing. Mm -hmm. you, immediately after that, go that, that sort of captures it and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah, do this path or this practice. So first, first get inspired and then read about it try to sort of understand to a certain extent the theory and of course you cannot completely understand it because understanding is of the thinking is of the mind and it's and it's part of the ego and we are talking about an all sort of broader dimension where the ego is only an appearance in but at the same time this is the this is the beginning you have to start somewhere and so you start with doing the right practice based on the right teaching, the right theory. And, and then you follow courses or you go to retreats with teachers or whatever your inclinations are. And then first you start and then a few weeks later you forget all about it and you are sort of totally consumed again by samsara and your ego stories. Mostly then when suffering happens again in your life, when the shit happens again, then you remember, oh, oh yeah, there was something like spiritual practice, shall I start again? And then gradually you, you'll start. And, and, and the wonderful thing here is there's no rush. As long as you are not realized, suffering will lovingly touch you every time and again to remind you that you are not completely understanding reality. Uh, and it doesn't have to be even this lifetime, yeah? because also lifetimes are appearances in awareness. Awareness is not, is not born and never dies because it's not an entity. How can no thing ever start or stop? Yeah? So, and this is only the theory, but if you really directly look into your awareness, which actually is awareness directly looking into itself, and you see there is no thing to see, then your fear of death sort of diminishes. The ego still remains afraid of dying, of course, because the ego thinks he's the body, and the body dies, so the ego dies, and the ego doesn't want to die. And the ego will sort of grab all kinds of spiritual theories that denies his dying like reincarnation or something uh, it's all funny and and don't ju don't judge your ego uh, it's just a child who's afraid so gradually gradually it'll happen and if it doesn't happen this life if you prefer to go on with your football games or whatever your thing is okay then it'll happen next life or next life or next life the Buddha was once standing beside a river with his students and there was a, a, a dead tree floating by. And the Buddha said, this, this piece of wood, this piece of tree, if it's, it, it might hang behind a rock or it might sort of get stuck on a riverbank for a while, but eventually it must end in the ocean because all the river ends in the ocean. So this is... Uh, a way of looking at that in our egocentric way of thinking, we can really get sort of also a sort of a spiritual stress by, oh, 
I must reach enlightenment before I die, because otherwise I'm sort of have to start all over again, uh, or something like that. No, 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 not even that. You can relax, and only the suffering will continue uh, as long as you're not on this path of realization. And so don't worry. That's that's. Don't worry. Don't judge. That's actually the the, the beginning of the path. The whole path. You again and again. You have to learn again and again. Say your ego. Don't worry. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Just watch. Just watch. And don't worry. It'll happen. It'll happen. You know. You never know when. But it'll happen. As certain as your ego is going to die, a same certainty. Your awareness will recognize its own nature, because whole whole of existence is sort of flowing in the direction of self-recognition. I find that a very comforting message as well. That it will, you will, it's already there, and you will get to know it eventually. Eventually, yes. Am I right? It's already there. Yeah. And what I find interesting is. I feel like awareness is the same in everything. I mean, I, I produce music, I'm producing a podcast right now, but and, and you you write books, and you can find awareness in all of those practices in the same way, right? Mm. What I've you don't have to change your occupation, your lifestyle, even your profession. You can even Dalai Lama said you don't have to become Buddhist. <laughs> you can just do your own religion, or if you're an atheist, just stay atheist, yeah, and just add this mm -hmm. practice of non-judgmentality, mm -hmm. of watching. Mm -hmm. Just add it. Of course, if your life is tremendously busy and you're working 80 hours a, a week, you might not have much time to practice. And then, of course, it will take you longer before you realize it because you can of course quite comfortably think awareness is here all the time the moment the suffering happens you'll find out that this thought does not free you from suffering so that's the whole thing and this is what one of the pitfalls we 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 see in these modern times is that people, mostly from the, the side of the Advaita, the non-dualist uh, tradition, they get the theory, they understand the theory, and they say, so there's nothing you can do, so you might as well just have fun in your life, because you cannot bring it about, you cannot create realization, which is true, but they forget that you, you can create circumstances in which realization might happen. You, might, you can learn to do nothing. They say there's nothing you can do to get re realized. And I say that's true, but that is what you can learn. You must learn to do nothing. And this is the paradox, actually. And, and most of the neo-advaitas got stuck in their understanding the theory and it's already there and I'm already enlightened and there's nothing I can do and nothing I need to do and they just go on living happily ever after, of course, until the terminal disease strikes or you become 
alone when your partner leaves you or whatever shit happens in normal lives will also happen in the lives of neo advaitas and that's the moment you find out that your your understanding the theory doesn't end your suffering so that that this is actually quite difficult to to for people to understand then there has to be practice at the same time you cannot create it so how to combine these two you cannot bring it about you cannot create enlightenment but you can train your ego and sort of back off a little bit you don't have to completely back off wouldn't even be possible but just stop working 80 hours a week start 30 hours or 20 hours if possible and then instead of that, start practicing. Start just sitting and watching. Don't think that you will manage it by just being very conscious during your day <laughs> because that's a kind of consciousness of the ego. Yeah? Ego is quite conscious of while working, I'm working. Yes, of course, very nice. But also, it, it's also very conscious of now I'm suffering. Yes, you're very <laughs> conscious of your suffering, but that's not ending your suffering. Because just being conscious is not awareness, recognizing its own empty nature. So that practice is inevitable. Somewhere in your life, you must decide, I'm starting the practice. And then you can start really on a friendly basis. <clears throat> Actually, it's advice to start friendly. Don't start with many hours a day. Start with three or four times, five or 10 minutes. And then from there, gradually, it'll happen. I can imagine we have to get, we have to practice to get familiar with being the observer. So that's why you have to practice, I guess. Yeah. Does your consciousness, is it stands in relationship to mind consciousness? Is that also a thing or is it some collective consciousness? Well, in the, in, if, if awareness finds its own empty nature, then you cannot say that your awareness and my awareness are two awarenesses. <laughs> yeah? So there can only be awareness. You cannot even say correctly there's only one awareness because the moment you give it a number one, then there also should be a number zero, not mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But there's only awareness. Never ever been anything else but awareness. So this actually... The, the whole question of are, are we related to each other comes from the, the view that we are separate persons. And then you can wonder, uh, is this separate person a little bit related to that separate person or to that separate person? <laughs> and then you might even want to be related. And ego is really anxious to find relationships. And here you can see that the ego is actually has a quite good intuition of where happiness can be found, namely in connectedness, in oneness. It only looks at the wrong direction. It looks at other people to find the connection with one or two or few other people. And in that connection, we find a little bit of happiness. But this happiness is not the, the happiness that is in the the connection that we already have, already are, actually. So realizing the empty nature of awareness also brings you sort of in a, in a, in a, in a beginning of realizing the oneness of everything and everybody. And 
then still it, it, it remains quite pleasant to have relationships with people, love relationships and friendly relationships. It's not something you have to stop, of course. But then you recognize that the, the love you have, for instance, in a love relationship is actually the love in your innate being that is only triggered by some other person because the ego sort of relaxes in the in the minus of that other person so the two persons love each other makes the two egos sort of have a sort of a relaxation in each other's presence and when the ego relaxes the awareness can start shining only people are not aware that the love they feel for their loved ones is actually their innate presence being so that makes ego think i must keep this person in my life i must hold on to this person i don't want to lose this person because this person gives me all these happy and loving feelings and there starts the suffering then you want to claim your relationship and you make sort of agreements with each other never to leave each other and there the love starts disappearing already and instead becomes sort of two egos start to take uh, a relationship with each other, grow together, <laughs> become one ego, one we ego. Yeah, these people are not separate eyes again, but it's a, it's a we. A we, we uh, I have friends who have such a relationship, and when I get an email, they always put both names under the oh, email. And then I have to look at the email address to see from which one, the man or the woman partner, which one is sending me this mail. Because there's so much we. And they are happy in it, so no no judgment here is necessary. But at the same time, there is, there is, a, there is a new identity created, a new ego is created. And so new suffering will also happen in the life of those people. I find relationships a very interesting topic related to awareness because indeed, like you said, your friends and I know a lot of people as well who are constricted in an egoic, a egoic yeah. relationship. What is, how would you, now let me rephrase that. When you look at relationships, I don't know if it's just in these modern times or it is al it already it has always been like that. What is a healthier way to look at relationships? Because like you said, when you meet some somebody, it is so common to say, oh, I want to have a relationship with that people, with that human being. What is a more yeah, the, fluent, healthy way to look at relationships? Uh, yeah, a more healthy way or a more spiritual yep. way to look at relationships is to see them as aids, as helpful circumstances on your path. So normally love relationships are considered traditionally in spirituality considered to be a distraction of your spiritual path because then you have a, a man wife a household children mm -hmm. lots of work have to make money for the children and all that stuff no time to practice <laughs> this is quite traditional of course mm -hmm. uh, these days you can have a family and be a, a, a job a non-dual practitioner of course, then you really must work hard to create the space for you to practice alone, yeah, to be alone. So the first thing is when you 
are attracted to somebody and you want to start a relationship with each other, then first sort of protect your being alone as your deepest treasure. Don't give up your being alone. Don't give up your living apart. Don't give up your autonomy. Because you start loving somebody who is at that moment an, an autonomous person, a self, a self, a, a independent, independent <laughs> person. Yes, mm -hmm. that's what makes him or her so attractive. An independent person with its own friends, its own salary, its own house. And then you start loving each other. And from the first day on, you start sort of making all kinds of safety agreements because the independency of the other person becomes a, a sort of a fear. I don't want to lose this person. Uh, so if the person wants to give up some of him or her independency, it makes me feel safe. And I will give up some of my independency to make the other person feel safe. And so we, from the beginning, we try to make each other feel safe. You don't have to worry. I will never leave you. Yeah. And that's the whole sort of non-spiritual way of how to engage in relationships. So if you are some sort, some a little bit conscious of how this works, then you start with talking to each other about how to maintain our independency and how to protect our love. That, that the love is the most important part, not the safety. The safety kills the love. So the, the insecurity that is part of ego. Ego is always insecure to lose something he loves. So deal with the insecurity yourself. And then you can even help each other to deal with the insecurity yourself. So if one partner is feeling insecure and tries to get security from the other partner by for, to get hugs or whatever... The other partner might say, this doesn't feel right. I feel now that you're sort of trying to get something from me. You're not coming to give something. You're trying to get reassurance from me. How is it for you? So no, never judgment, but just this is my feeling. I feel it feels like you're hanging on me. You're using me to solve your problems now. How does it, how do you feel about this? And then you start sort of comparing my feeling can be wrong also. Your feeling can be wrong also. Then we use each other as a mirror to look at our own suffering, our own fears. And then you have a spiritual love relationship. That's the, actually the most beautiful form of love relationship. You maintain independent independency for as much as possible. Of course, sometimes it's not completely possible if you want to have children together and you don't have much money, then you will have to start living in one house. Of course, that's understandable. But even in that one house, you can make arrangements for your time being alone. Don't give up on that. And don't give up on your own friend's circle. Don't give up on your own money. Don't put the money in one bank account be independent as much as possible. This will, this will greatly help your love flourish. So that's one of the things, there are a lot of things more. Mm -hmm. I wrote a few books about it. One is actually <laughs> translated in English. Oh, really? It's uh, Addicted to Love. Ah. Addicted to Love is, is translated in Verslaafd aan Liefde in mm -hmm. Dutch. 
And this is about how to use relationships for spiritual growth mm -hmm. instead of letting them de develop into uh, a new ego symbiotic relation. Interesting, because yeah. you spoke about love relationships multiple times. And is what it is. Thanks. You spoke about love relationships multiple times. And what I find interesting is I hear you talk about relationships that you do not answer, but also relationships you engage with. But also on the other side, I hear, for example, like Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know him. He's a psychologist from uh, from the United States. He's a yeah. He's a conservative. Yeah. And he is like, you do not pick your perfect partner, you build your par partner. And he is like, you pick a partner and then you stay with that one person for the rest of your life, whatever comes across your path. That's sort of often based on the religious convictions. Yeah. Or, or whatever conviction that may be. And... Well, it's not my opinion. <laughs> I think that's a recipe for a lot of suffering. But I understand why some people think that this is the answer to a lot of suffering because also a lot of suffering happens when relationships break up. Mm -hmm. So then it seems the solution to sort of promise each other never to break up the relationship, mm -hmm. no matter how much suffering will sort of happen in mm -hmm. the relationship we never give up well mm -hmm. i think that's only a recipe for more suffering and mm -hmm. of course i'm not sort of uh, advocating that when the first problems arise in a relationship that you sort of break up immediately because problems are actually also a quite a, a helpful part of your spiritual path and you can even help each other in problems to use them as a, a means for spiritual progress. But on the other hand, sometimes relationships don't work that way anymore. And that can have several reasons. And you can, you can sort of judge them and you can sort of ignore them, but they will still sort of cause a relationship to become a, a, a source of suffering. And then it's, it's, it's really uh, a great sort of accomplishment in nowadays uh, compared to like 50 years ago and earlier that we are free to end the relationship. And, and there's a deep spiritual truth in everything is temporarily. There's not, nothing ever happens to be in, happens to be permanent. Impermanence is the very fabric of all appearances. Some things last longer, some things last shorter, but nothing lasts forever. And it goes also for relationships. And one of the things that many relationships sort of suffer from is the idea that they are meant to be forever, till death is part. Yeah? And that gives such a load of obligation to both partners this idea that, that it should be forever and it, the idea that if a relationship is not forever, then you have failed. This is such a negative way of approaching the whole start and then the, the high time of a relationship and then the decline and then the end of a relationship. It's like a wave in the ocean. It's a beautiful thing. 
like the beginning is beautiful, the high times are beautiful, then the problems at the end are beautiful if you can see them that way and then leaving each other in a loving way. And with the pain, of course, it, pain is no problem. The pain that you don't want to feel becomes the problem. But if you're sort of ready to feel the pain of separation also as a part of your spiritual path, then nothing ever happens that is wrong in relationships. And that is what Dzogchen means. It's perfect. It's perfect in the beginning. It's perfect when you f are afraid to lose someone. It's perfect when the suffering happens because you are afraid to lose someone. And it's all adding to your experience of how to become aware. Interesting. And I also think that is more true when I relate it to nature. I, I relate a lot of awareness and truth to nature. I mean, everything grows, lives and dies yeah. in the end. And we don't know whether that is two years, 10 years, maybe your whole life. Yeah. Maybe you with another partner yeah. <laughs> on the side. I think that's, yeah, I like that. I like that idea. My ego likes that idea mm. <laughs> of, yeah. of a very spiritual relationship. Yeah. If, when you describe it like that, it can even last a day. Right? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. In fact, in, in tantric relationships, you don't even have a love relationship. You can meet someone and you are you like someone, someone is attractive enough, then you start practicing tantra with each other. And in the practice you'll 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 have love. You you love each other in tantric practice because the practice is completely opposite to the normal way people have sex with each other. And and the normal way is actually sort of less awareness the more excited you get the less awareness there is and people sort of while making love don't have any contact with each other anymore the more passion the less contact and an orgasm is sort of going completely out of contact yeah? which is for the ego a moment of sort of a joy because it even forgets itself for a moment but there's no contact so you can learn to make love in awareness. And the beautiful thing is that two people, while practicing awareness, also practicing lovemaking, the awareness and the energy of sexual excitement will sort of combine and awareness will start to become ecstatic. In ecstatic, there will be Moments that the separation, the seeming separation of two people sort of dissolves in the ecstasy. And you have short experiences of non-duality, which is quite lovingly. Yeah? It's, 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 it's one of the deepest kinds of love you can experience. And then afterwards, of course, you have happiness and the ego is happy that it sort of did it. And then you can let go of each other. There's no relationship in the egoic sense. It, there can be also an egoic relationship, but then it will be a spiritual relationship. But you even can have tantric love experiences without having an, a relationship with someone. It's a wonderful practice. It, it seems like it is a wonderful practice indeed, yeah. I, I'm not really familiar with uh, tantric relationships mm -hmm. or... Or, yeah, for example, but it seems like a very flowing way of being attracted or yeah. in a relationship yeah. to. And it's not without pain also. 
Yeah, so in, in the real tantric practice, you have the right sort of amount of pain and pleasure. Only pain, that would be crazy, of course, but only pleasure, then you're not really doing tantra. So the pain is actually in recognizing all your fears, all your shames yeah, about opening up what about opening up for your desires, mentioning your desires, mentioning your fear of not fulfilling the desires of the other. The, the sexuality is quite button-pushing, <laughs> you could say. And so there's a lot of practicing there also. A lot of learning to be not judgment, judgmental about your own sort of fears. I can imagine. It feels like the whole spectrum of, of awareness, and maybe I'm approaching it with an ego right now, but it feels like a very broad, rich spectrum. Pain, happiness, yeah. loving. Uh, you can, if you experience... Uh, everything is, is welcomed. Yeah, and when you make space for it, when you facilitate that room, uh, that space for awareness, it feels like you can experience it in such a such an intense way other than that you just think like oh i'm happy today yeah but when you're more mm -hmm. more present when you're more aware it feels uh, more intensity yeah intensity exactly is, is first intensity is sort of required in your practice mm -hmm. you sort of create the intensity by not watching television while you're practicing while not looking on your phone while practicing so there is a sort of boredom also mm -hmm. the boredom gradually changes into a sort of intensity of being present and in this this intensity slowly slowly becomes intensity on its own right you could say intensity without effort the effortless intensity of being yeah first with effort then effortless exactly yeah that's also i think i remember thinking when i first started <laughs> the awareness journey I remember that I thought or maybe even said to my therapist, like, isn't it boring to be very mindful? <laughs> On the contrary, <laughs> it was the opposite. Yeah. The Well, uh, to be honest, uh, spiritual practice can be very boring. Actually, one of, my, one of the Tibetan teachers that I, I've not met personally, but I read about him, Chogyam Trungpa, he said boredom is the beginning of spiritual practice. Oh, really? First create boredom. Which means, of course, that all the exciting, interesting things of samsara, your work, your, your movie watching, all the things. I mean, the ego wants to be entertained all day. Uh, so you must first sort of make breaks in this constant entertainment need of the ego. Just the break of putting out your telephone and television and just sit there in a room with no other people around is boring. And... For the ego, of course, mm -hmm. it's boring. The ego will sort of will will fall asleep or will sort of irritate itself greatly, and then just be with the sleepiness or with the irritation. That begins the practice. Just be with the boredom. Just be with the yeah, be be with it. Don't try to alter it. So really, no, the boredom, the irritations during the practice. And then the suffering of all everyday life, the moments of suffering, they all become practice. Yeah, I find it very interesting and touching to... What is it that when I touch this topic, whatever I read Eckhart Tolle or I speak with you or 
like Krishnamurti, for example, what is it that I almost feel a sense of relief when I go into the realm of awareness? It's always always like, ah, this this is wh- yeah, yeah, where yeah. I want it to be. Yeah, I think that uh, for a part, it is the non-judgmentality, because ego is always judging. You're always comparing yourself with others. You're always comparing yourself with the goals that you have in mind that you got while a child even. You got all kinds of goals to become happy, to become successful, to become rich, to have wonderful relationship, whatever. All the goals that ego has in its thinking mind that have to sort of that that put a pressure on us on a on a continuous basis there is a, a little bit of pressure even in the fine moments in ego's finest hours there is <laughs> some sort of pressure which we are not aware of but that's the pressure of knowing already but not but ignoring that it's going to end the pleasure is going to end again and we don't want it to end and then we ignore this pressure of it's going to end and we sort of try to lose ourselves in the pleasure part of the ego life. And it's all, it's all a, a form of suffering. Yeah, even, that, yeah. even the even good the, part is even, suffering. Yeah, even yeah. the good part has in it already a little layer of suffering which consists of this fear of it's going to end again. I'm going to lose it again. This is not forever. Beautiful. Yeah. Is there something else you really like to emphasize for the listener? Something to end this conversation with? No, I think we had a, did a, we covered it quite well. For me, it was quite nice to speak in English. Like for a long time, I haven't been speaking English. Actually. You did a very good job. Yes. You did a very good job. Just a few words that sort of then lacking. Huh? Yeah, I liked I liked this conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. It was that feeling is mutual. Thank you so much for inviting us to to your home, your safe space. Of course, I would recommend everybody to read your books. Uh, is is are there any new books coming up? You all you write a lot. No, no. The, the last one is actually quite <laughs> recently published. Yeah, I know. Yeah, a sweet blow <laughs> of your head. Club for your cop. A loving punch in the face. About the same subject, of course, Mm -hmm. how suffering is actually again and again on a quite loving way showing you that you're not completely understanding reality. Well, of course, we have a lot of Dutch listeners, so I'll recommend them to read your books, get engaged. You also give courses, right? Yeah, weekend courses and retreats about John and, and about relationships on a spiritual way and uh, online courses also, a few also on relationship, also on parenting and uh, one for addicts. Quite recently started that again. I, I wrote books about addiction, but mm-hmm. now a few months ago, I started an online course for for addicts, for mm-hmm. people with, who suffer from addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, quite uh, nice, quite funny to quite funny and and pleasant i should say a pleasant way of also here this non-judgmentality is uh, well actually um, let me not start again <laughs> about addiction because that's quite a, an interesting subject for another time well let's do that in another podcast conversation <laughs> well uh, up on the internet read his books 
get acquainted with him. And thank you all very much for listening. And Jan, thank you for this conversation.